Uh, all right, so we uh, last time I um, had started Philippians 1, 12 through 20. Um, and so if you want to flip there. And uh, really it was, it was you know, somewhat instigated out of a lot of you know, issues that were happening, especially in the, the weeks leading up to a couple weeks ago. It seems like you know, in the interim, you know, things have, have died down, I guess, as far as on a, uh, in, in some sense. But that's just the things that make the national news. There are things that you know, happen every day in different places that we just don't hear about, of the difficulties, whether it is persecution, uh, people losing their lives, um, or uh, being thrown in jail, or whatever it is. And so no matter, no matter what the issue is that we deal with, um, we can kind of glean from Paul in the advice that he gave to the Philippians. Uh, so what was, again, just kind of as a reminder, where was Paul at when he was writing this letter? He was in prison, okay? And what is, again, the theme of Philippians? Kind of ask, like, that one word. Yeah, joy. So, um, so when you think, again, of him in prison and this idea of joy, you know, again, those, those two, two don't often mesh. But, but Paul had been in that situation before, and we looked at a little bit of that last time. And uh, he had also not only seen how God worked through those situations, but he continued to have... Um, this uh, unwavering and undaunting, um, you know, goal set before him about his what he needs to accomplish while he is here on earth. And so we're, we're going to continue to kind of look at look at that. So last week we, we kind of looked at a couple points. Um, I'll uh, I'll read read through the verses and just kind of mention what what those points were, and then we'll we'll pick up where we are. So in verse twelve he says, "I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel." So that is, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my, uh, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so the first point was, look how the difficulty can bring glory to God. And that we saw that at the end of Philippians, he says that people in Caesar's household know the Lord. He's greeting those in Caesar's household, and so or sending greetings from those in Caesar's household. And so him just being in prison was able to make an impact on others who likely would not have heard the gospel otherwise. And so he understood that he was in a particular place at a moment of time, in a location in time, for the very reason that God had him to be there. Um, verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so, in that one, I said, look at how this difficulty causes opportunity for others. I mean, sometimes because of the difficulty that, you know, Paul was removed off of the mission field and where he was going to pour into these churches, and that allowed an opportunity for others to come in and to do the work of the ministry. Again, that, that just happens. Um, you know, uh, like this, this, uh, this week I, I ended up, uh, I taught here at Cherokee Christian for five years. I ended up 
uh, moving, going to a different school. And I talked to the guy that had taken, you know, basically was going to teach the classes that I was slated to teach. And he was a guy that just came off the mission field from Russia and was looking to get back and settled here in America. And he was like looking for a job. And he was from Florida and knew one of the, you know, faculty here. It's just kind of amazing. And I just say, you know, it's, an, it's amazing how God works that like, you know, just me moving allowed this guy to come in. And I probably stepped into somebody else's position because some guy was supposed to take certain classes. And you just kind of send, if you can step back and see that, that even if there's some sort of difficulty that, you know, maybe your loss of job or, you know, what we view as this difficult circumstance can actually be a benefit for somebody else. Very hard to do, especially, you know, as we think, you know, sometimes in our uh, mortal thinking, uh, temporal thinking that, you know, woe is me, why is this happening to me? But, Maybe with time, we're given those eyes to see those things. And we're going to look at that a little bit more. And Paul says, you know what? He said, even if people came in and was like, you know, Paul's gone. I get to like elbow in and now take over Paul's work. He says, in pre- you know, they're coming with these pretenses. Just say, I get to preach the gospel. And he said, even if they come with like pride, he says, guess what? The gospel's being preached and I'll be okay with that. And so I, I take comfort in that. I mean, that's one of the things that I always see, especially as sometimes we... Uh, you know, we love our church, right? We, you know, you, you're here because you chose to be here, right? You're not forced to be here. And so as we, as we choose the church that we align ourselves with most, sometimes, you know, when we talk with neighbors who go to different churches, we, we sometimes get a little bit like, well, you know, it's a good church, but our church is great, you know? But, you know, they have that same feeling. So we all have, we all have sometimes pride that gets in the way. Now, I love our church too. But we also have to understand if the gospel is preached at these other churches, we just got to step back and say, you know, while we feel like God is working in this church and that God is glorified through the preaching and the way that the ministries are are here and and, uh, we feel confident in that, we can also rest assured that God is working in some of these other churches as well. So, you know, coming from a guy who went through seminary and as you're always looking at, you know, other pastors and this guy teaches this and whatever, you know, it's like he kind of drifted a little bit, you know. I mean, we, we all get critical about certain things, especially more when you're, you're in seminary. So being a little bit removed from that, um, you're able to kind of just step back and say, you know, if the, if the gospel is preached, you know, may God give glory. So anyway, there's other sermons for, for those uh, other topics. But Paul here just says, I, I rejoice in that. I mean, again, I wish I had, I wish I had that, that mentality. All right, so as we continue, he starts out in verse uh, 19, and he says, Yes, I will rejoice. Again, he, he said, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Okay, so this third thing is look at who else is involved. I mean, how, you know, I'm in prison, someone's taking over and preaching the gospel, and probably the Philippians were thinking like, you know, we heard that so-and-so is coming in. He's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You know, I'm here for a reason. My reason, I got this new ministry now. And he says, but I'll rejoice, and I'll rejoice because I know that it's through your prayers and the hope of the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that this will actually turn out for my deliverance. And so he's got that confidence, right? He's, he's joyful, but in jail. Um, who would you say in Scripture, and so this could kind of go in different ways, but I'll direct this in a particular path that I felt, but who, maybe we'll hit it the first one. Who, who else in Scripture, 
you know, has this joy or says, you know what, we should be joyful when we encounter some of these difficulties. What's that? James, right? And so what did James say? Does anyone remember? If not, you can turn to James 1. Yeah. Yeah, consider it all joy. And that's how he starts out. And James is talking to those who are dispersed. They were dealing with difficulties of their own. Peter, same thing, dealing with difficulties and you know, giving them comfort and confidence. And the same thing, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter you know, trials of various kinds, you know, whatever it is. And what was the hope that he said? And he said, you know, the reason is, is because this trial will do something in your life. Now, James was speaking more specifically about how this trial will build you up as a believer. And he kind of talks about that. But then he, after that, he says, you know, so have, you know, have wisdom as you go about your daily difficulties. But what if you don't have wisdom? What does he say to Yeah, ask the Lord. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where Paul, his confidence can come, right? He says, he knew, you know, James said that, that God will help you through this trial. And Paul says the same thing. But he goes even further than that. Instead of just, you know, the, ask, ask the Lord for wisdom, Paul says, you know what, that the Lord is working in your midst. But it's not only the Lord, but who else is working? What does he, what does he say first there in, in verse, uh, verse 19? Who is, it, who is it that is helping him through this trial? What's that? So we have the Holy Spirit, right? We'll get to him second. Before that, what does he say? What's that? The believer's prayers. He knows, he knows that he's just not abandoned in jail. He's not like thrown in jail and like everyone's like, hey, what happened to Paul? Like, I haven't heard from him in months. Like, didn't you hear? Paul's in jail. No, Paul knows that he's in jail, but he's got, he's got the, uh, the believer's especially, you know, there in Philippi, and he knows that he's got others that are with him, that they're praying, right? You're not alone through this trial and difficulty. I mean, that ends up being like the, the kind of the rallying cry, like when, when, a, when something happens, you know, um, you know, say there's a big tragedy, a terrorist attack, you know, that's, that's kind of one thing that you see that as all humankind, I guess, you see people kind of rallying together. You know, after 9-11, I remember seeing my cousin like two years after. He's, he's, uh, lives, lived, in work, lived in Jersey but worked in New York, and he, he still wore like a, a flag pin, you know, just remembrance of that because he had friends that, that died and remembered those things. When, you know, the terrorist attack happened in France, people changed their Facebook, you know, put the France flag. It was like, remember these things, you know, because... We want to say, you know, guess what? That, that even though you're dealing with this tragedy and pain, this idea that maybe even worldwide, people are understanding how that happens. Now, that's just, you know, that's an understanding like, hey, we know what you're, you know, we understand, we know what's happened, and, you know, that, that kind of gets limited to there. Except if you've got God intervening, right? I mean, it's like one thing to say, like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened, but there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, the confidence that Paul has is that, you know, you may feel, you know, you may feel sorrowful for me, one, because, I mean, jail, he's obviously not able to face-to-face minister them, and so that's kind of a loss of friendship right there. But he says, you know what, I'm encouraged because you can pray, and you can pray to a God who can actually do something. If God sees it fit to deliver me, then he will deliver me, and I feel confident in that, and if God doesn't, you know, I know that that is exactly God's plan as well. 
But it, it brings something else into this arena as well, is that prayer you know, now has this connection with what's going on in this other part of the world, right? There in, in Philippi, which is in Greece, Macedonia, uh, Greece, and then Paul is where? He's in another, another area of the country, you know, Italy. It'd be a short flight. Be hard to get to though in that those days, so not easily able to go from from one country to a next, separated by sea and mountains, uh, depending on how you traveled. So, but he knows. Guess what? That you continually think about me. You continually think about me as you're praying to the Lord for these things. And so for us, I mean, we we understand how not only important that prayer is. I mean, you can think about uh, the Montoyas. I mean, so it's it's wonderful that we hear you know what's going on there. But if we continue to pray for them, you know, and if you pick just a missionary family and say, you know, I'm going to continue to pray for them, now your radar is up for things that are going on, not only like their lives, but now like you hear something that goes on in Honduras. Now you think, wow, I bet that that may impact what's going on. I hope that the Lord can open up a door for the Montoyas to speak or, you know, everybody that they're in of what's going on. You know, if you're praying for a missionary family in Croatia, I mean, I don't know how often I look for news what's going on in Croatia, but if you're praying for people in those areas and all of a sudden, you know, your radar is up. That was one that was kind of one one way that after 9/11, I remember I was traveling in one of the areas where the Pennsylvania uh, you remember when the planes went down in like western Pennsylvania? I wasn't too far from there. And uh, but uh, shortly afterward, you know, I started getting people saying, like, are you okay? You know, just, like, messaging me. And one of those people was my wife. And so that was, like, one of those things, like, I had met her a couple months beforehand, and it was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'd, you know, it was like an hour away. But that was, like, you know, opened up the door for us to, to kind of be in each other's lives and then um, to kind of go from there. And, you know, you know. You know, uh, <laughs> That's sufficient, yeah. <laughs> she was exploding tragedy. No, anyway, so. But, and that's, that's how the Lord works sometimes. I mean, you know, anyway, you know, there's plenty of examples that you can probably think of. You, you, you hear, I remember, anyway, whatever, it doesn't matter. So, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. So, the Lord can use those things of prayers, and so Paul is encouraged by that. I know you're praying for me. I know you know, that you are intervening in my life. I know that you care for me. I know that, you, you know, you, you bring the request to the Lord to intervene in my behalf. One of those examples that I feel is like is kind of a powerful example, if you turn to Acts, Acts chapter 5. Does anyone know what example we're going to go to in Acts chapter 5? Somebody was in jail. So that time, you know, John and Peter often are thrown in jail a couple times in the beginning of Acts. I mean, it's just, it's, I, I love Acts for so many reasons, but those first several chapters, you know, foundational, we, we usually kind of focus in on Paul, but those, those first several chapters, looking at like how God used Peter and uh, in so amazing ways, you know, because if you read the end of uh, John or Luke, you know, and he totally blew it and, you know, he does restore Peter at the end of his life and then, but now you see Peter you know, being used by the Lord and thrown in jail and all these things happen. So this is, this is uh, I think, his second arrest. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, let's see here. Um, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles. So they were out preaching and they arrested him. Um, 
Let's see. Oh, we'll see that. The high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council. This is uh, verse 21. All the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison uh, to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they're greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned with the people. And they brought them before the council, and they said, you know, we charge you not to do this. And uh, verse 29, he says, we must obey God rather than men. And so then you get, uh, I think, I, I'm sorry, I think I picked actually the, the wrong example, but I just, I can't, I guess I looked at that one instead of, maybe it's earlier in chapter, chapter 4. Um, but when Peter was arrested, right, was this chapter 4? Yeah, so chapter 4, sorry, I, I jumped ahead to 5. Um, that was actually the second imprisonment. Uh, that Peter, he was arrested and thrown in jail. And when he was thrown in jail, uh, that, what, what happened? You guys remember? That he was, he was sitting there, it was night, and then all of a sudden he was, he was chained up. Yeah, the angel rescued him. And then he just made his way out of the prison, went to the door, the door opened, he went outside, and where did he go? What's that? Yeah. What's that? Yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah, Paul, Paul, uh, Peter goes up to the door, knocks on the door, a uh, girl comes to the door, opens it up. And, uh, and then shuts it. <laughs> Goes upstairs and everyone was praying, like praying for his release and praying that, that God is with him. And then Peter's probably like, I, there's always one of those funny moments, like Peter's out, outside the door. He's like, uh, you know, you guys are praying for me to be released and here I am. She just couldn't believe it. And so they, she went and told them and they were like, well, go let him in, right? Uh, someone might be looking for him. So he goes, goes in and is let in. And, uh, but at that moment, what were they doing? When he, Peter, Peter makes it to the door, he's got this miraculous escape. They were upstairs and they were praying for him for his release. For his release. So, anyway, I think I just... If you can find that one I, it, somewhere in the early chapters, I think I just wrote the, wrote the reference down. But you, you, guys get the, you guys get the point. That intervening in that way, God can use those things to, to deliver somebody. And the other thing he says is that not only that your prayers are what I'm encouraged by... Right, but I know that the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, he says, will turn this out for my deliverance. Right, that beyond just your prayers and you praying to God that God can intervene, I know that I have the Holy Spirit within me. And there's this remarkable example. We won't go to that one, but it's in Second Kings chapter six, and uh, Elisha is you know surrounded by this army of Syria, and one of his helpers comes to him and says, "There's an army outside," and he's like, "Well." You know, they don't see what I see. And he's like, I don't see what you see. And he says, well, Lord, you know, open his eyes and let them see. And what is, what is, do you remember what was out there? Mr. What's that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. So uh, we've got a lot of people on our side. But at that moment, you know, the, the, you know, Elisha's helper was like, it's just the two of us. There's no way we can throw this army. He's like, guess what? You know, God is bigger than these things. You know, Jesus said, I could rain down 
you know, have, have my, my angels come and, and, and take over. But this is the Lord's will that I give up my life for that. But God can certainly intervene if he does. And Paul knows that. Paul knows that God is a bigger God who can, who can work within his life if he so chooses. And he, we're going to get to, you know, the, the point of that. So whenever we have these difficult situations, we find out difficulties are occurring, you know, just stop and pray. Pray again that, you know, for those people. Again, you know, how often do you think about those people until sometimes tragedy occurs and you're like, oh, those people, you know, and, and what are they going through? What are their families going through? And, you know, unfortunately, we, we tend to kind of uh, forget about some of those things that happen, but, but continue to, as the Lord lays it upon you, to pray for whoever it is. It, it makes you more invested within there, but also pray for, again, the people that are that opportunities may be created, that, that there will be those who can minister in those situations and pray that we can have eyes to see how the Lord is working within that situation. So look at who else is involved in that situation. And again, sometimes we can't see who else is involved, but we stop and think that there are those that are praying for us, those that we can be encouraged by, and sometimes we may not be thinking about it, but people say later on will say, hey, I've been praying for you, and that always gives you comfort. Like, you may not have known it at that time, but, but it, it is encouraging to hear that. And so kind of with that eyes to see leads us to the fourth thing. We're going to look at life with a wide-angled lens. Look at life with a wide-angled lens. But he says at, at the end of verse 20, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. I mean, that, that almost sounds like a madman talking, right? He's like, I, I just don't know. I mean, do I want to live or do I want to die? I mean, that's a really hard decision to make. And I mean, for most of us, we're like, I choose live. I mean, you know, again, if you think, you know, somebody... You know, again, you're in the situation that it is life or death, and Paul is, on, you know, on trial, and he very well could die, right? He says, he says that I will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Is gain. I, I mean, it's that's a hard that's a hard thing to swallow. Just say you know, life or death. You know, take it or leave it. I mean, because when we think about when we think about our lives, we think about all all of the things that are important to us. You know, we think about our children, we think about you know uh, our families, we think about the things that we left behind, our dreams and goals and whatever. Our you know, I I just finished that project. I want to enjoy that project. Right? You know, it's probably not the first thing that comes to mind, but you know, um, there are things that we just get entangled with in our lives, and that and so we're we're so kind of life focused. But how does Paul summarize it? You know. The how we should live our lives. How should we live our lives? What does he say there in, uh, I'm sorry, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But he, he basically stopped and he, he, picked, he, he backed up and he said, you know, what are my two options? And so for us, sometimes as we get so immersed in the difficulties, car breaks down, you know, again, whatever, whatever it is, the difficulty of life, if we were to like, you know, zoom out and think about like, what, what are the two, you know, Worst things that could happen. And Paul says, you know, really my two options boil down to 
I live, you know, and they let me out. I mean, he doesn't even say that, but that's kind of the kind of the implications. Or I die, and he says, like, if I zoom back, and he said, if I if I can live, and he explores that what that looks like, and he says, and if I die, that's not a bad option too. So we're going to actually like say like whatever issue that we're dealing with and the difficulty that we're dealing with, and just like step back and say like, what's the worst that could happen? You know, what's worst thing that happens is you just abandon your car and you're like never see you again. You know, did you lose the money on that? Sure, you lost the money on that. But guess what? The Lord will, you know, you got years to work or years to live, and the Lord will, will see you through that. But let's just back up, and then back up even further, and then back up even further than that, and then everything just boils down to life here or life later. And, and honestly, it's, it's kind of a win-win, right? As a, as a believer, life is a win-win situation no matter, like, what you deal with, what you deal with. And so we often just get sucked into the details of life, and we can't pull ourselves out. But if we're able to pull ourselves out, then we can see that it's actually, you know, what's the worst thing can happen? And so Paul says that. You know, the worst thing that can happen, he says, you know, if I live, that means fruitful labor. If I live and I stay in jail, for some reason they, you know, they delay whatever. I live, I stay in jail, I get, I get to share the gospel with prisoners and with soldiers who probably are tired of me sharing the gospel with them. But that's a win. If I get out, I get to go and, 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 and have fruitful labor amongst you Philippians. I get to see you again. I mean, that's pretty good too. And so he says, but if I die, you know, I'm hard, it's hard to say. Which one do I want to write? Verse 23, I'm hard-pressed. My desire, though, if I were to tell you, you know, the honest truth, my desire is to depart and to be with the Lord. And you probably can get a, a glimpse of that if you read in 2 Corinthians I think it's chapter 12 where he like lists all of the things that he has just dealt with, you know, the imprisonments and stonings and beatings. And I mean, he's had a hard life. And so, and he knows that God said, your mission is to suffer for my sake. And so he's like, I know this is a hard life that I'm going to be living. And so that'll all go away if I'm there, there with the Lord. And he says to be with Christ, you know, that is far better. To die is better. Our life beyond these walls, beyond this physical world that we see here and now is better. Sometimes we, we, don't, we don't think about that. As we think about the future, and we think you know, about what God has for us. There's so many glorious things. And we've talked about that you know, a couple months ago. We talked about kind of eschatology, last things. But you know, it's important for us to kind of have that in mind, is what are the things that God has for us? Just the last two chapters of Revelation is, is, is very good to just kind of every once in a while pick up and read because you're like, oh yeah, God's going to recreate all of this and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be something greater than we can even imagine. So whenever difficulty hits, let's just recalibrate our thinking. You know, just say like, okay, let's just zoom, zoom out. All right, we're focused in on like this scene and this section of life. We'll zoom out and get kind of a wide-angle lens view. How is God working in the situation? If we can see that, how is God, you know, working in our lives? And, and let's, what are the consequences of these, of these actions? What's the worst that can happen? You know, sometimes we, as we're thinking ahead to November, as we think, like, what's, what's going on in our country? Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? And we can think about some pretty bad things that could happen. But guess what? You know, God is beyond that and, and is working within those things for we don't know what, but it's going to be for His glory and for his good. We just have to trust the Lord, right? So we should worry less about this life. And then we should even, again, meditate on heaven and long for it. Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 4 that this is light momentary affliction. 
compared to the eternal weight of glory that is waiting for me. All right, last thing. He says, look to encourage others. Look to encourage others. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So Paul turns again, you know, now from his life, his situation, his difficulty, and then he like turns it to the Philippians. This is what you're dealing with. And so, so to them, and then we, by extension, to us, right? This is what Paul says. Now let, let me, you know, as you know, pastoral, he's like, this is, this is how now you need to live your life. I know you're concerned about me, but always encouraging, always looking out for others. So beginning at verse 27, how does Paul summarize how we should live our lives? What does he say there? Yes. Live your life worthy of the gospel. And we just just stop and pause and just reflect on that. Probably, you know, probably daily on that. And, and just let that sink in for a moment. I mean, we're, and again, this is to encourage. And that's what Paul's saying. Again, this is your goal. Because we're always probably going to find ourselves like not living worthy of the gospel, right? And the way that we deal with our kids, and the way that we deal with our coworkers, and the way that we deal with, you know, I don't know how many times, you know, you're with family members you haven't seen for a while, and you're like, I feel like I blew it, you know, like, you know, I prayed for this, and the situation came, but you feel like it never, you never had that, you know, I shared the gospel, and they came to Christ, and, you know, but guess what? God works, again, in a, a, a long-term fashion, and so he just says, just live your life worthy of the gospel. He sets that bar high, and he says, that's what we're to aim at, right? That's what we're to aim our lives at. Not to discourage you that I'm not living my life worthy for the gospel, so I'm just going to give up, but he says, that's your bar. That's what you're going to reach at. Do you reach it on your own? No. One, we know that we can't reach it without whose help? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, but then he turns it and says again, just kind of the same thing, that not only the Holy Spirit is working in me in this situation, but he also said that there are other believers working in this situation as well. And that's really where he takes it. He says, you know, what does a worthy life look like then in the church? Because that's where he gets to next. He says, because I want you to live worthy of the gospel, and when I come to see you as a church, what do I want to see? Unity, right? He, he didn't say, like, oh, I want you all reading your Bibles. I want you on your knees when I come. I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come unsuspecting. You know, it's like going to be a surprise you know, visit, and I'm going to have a checklist of things. But he says, when I come, I want you to be united, right? That, that you have, you know, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I want to see you guys encouraging each other because when you're low some other people are not and those people can help those people and then when they're not low you know sometimes it's it's kind of balanced i don't know you know 
you know, husbands and wives, sometimes you see that in your families. There are just times that you're discouraged, but your spouse is not. And then it could be like the next day, or it could be 20 minutes later. <laughs> Maybe what you said discouraged them, but they're discouraged now, but you're encouraged. You know, like, I don't know how many times, you know, I, I see that flip-flop in our lives. And I just thank the Lord that, that it's, you know, that we can complement each other well um, in those situations. That's just kind of a practical way we see. So what does a worthy life look like in the church? It's a united as body. And he, and he says this thing is that, that you need to stand together because sometimes the whole church ends up going through this difficulty together. Just like a husband and wife goes through the same difficulties together, but you're able to kind of help each other through. And so he's saying basically united we stand or divided we fall. And he's in not only on the local church, but again, you know, just as the missionary report kind of, you know, kind of emphasizes that, that there is, God is working in a more universal way within the church, and churches can encourage one another. And that's what Paul often did that. He would say, hey, this church is, is struggling. They need money. You know, I'm going to come and I'm going to get support. I know you have money and they don't, so I'm going to come and ask you to help support this church. Because he knew that the churches could support one another. Why? Because, you know, a church is not just, again, a local gathering, but it's beyond these walls because Christ's body is one body worldwide. And so, but specifically, he is saying, when I come and see you, I want to see you guys standing firm together. And so is this like standing firm, gritting your teeth, like stoic, like we're going to be, you know, going through like whatever issue or difficulty? No, because in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, he says, if one member suffers, he says, all members suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Because he knows that one person being affected in the body affects everyone else. And so we have to just kind of have our ears open and eyes open to how somebody is struggling and how we can intervene. Verse 28, uh, why, can we, why can we not be frightened by anything from our opponents? He says, I, you know, I want to come see you united and not frightened in anything by your opponents. What's that? Why, why is it that we, we, there's nothing to fear from our opponents? What's that? They can't really hurt us. Right? And even, you know, even if you inflict pain, and if you, even if you inflict financial suffering or whatever it is, they have the wrong view of this life. Because they feel like if I, if I inflict you in these ways now, I gain control over you. The believer says, you know what? You never had control. Right? Because there is one that is beyond you that is over all of this situation. So, Verse 29, he talks about the, the view of this earthly life. And he says, you know what? What, what is the view of, the, of the, our life here on earth? From verse 29. It's been granted to you to what? Yeah. All right. So whatever suffering you're dealing with, whatever tragedies you see around the world, like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's all in God's plans, Right? And he even says later on in verse, uh, verse 30 that it's, it's all the same fight. He says we're engaged in the same conflict. It may look different. I may be in jail. You may be de- dealing with financial hardship. You know, you may loss of home and disperse to somewhere else. You know, as you look at all the different books of the Bible and the letters to different groups, you know, it may look different. But we're all engaged in the same fight. 
because we live in a fallen world that this deck physically is stacked against us, everyone. And even not only that, is that beyond that, is that believers have an even greater opposition as well with Satan and the spiritual realm trying to act against us as well, to divide, to depress, to make us lose hope. And so Paul is saying, you know, we're engaged in the same conflict. And so we can actually have confidence knowing that when these things happen, we're like, aha, aha, this is, this is, how, I knew, this is how we're supposed to live this life. Because maybe, again, it leads to some opportunity or some uh, way that we can grow through that trial or difficulty. But not only that, that our opposition has nothing against us because they may inflict physical pain. Guess what? That's been happening forever. But we know that we have a that because of our proper view of this life, it's like, you know, again, again, it's not. You, know, you sometimes think is Paul like a little crazy because he's not encouraging it, but he's saying, you know, bring on the suffering, bring on the suffering because I, I whatever suffering I feel is just what Christ felt as well. Again, that's not how we normally like you know live our lives, but not only that is that we also, our opponents have a wrong view of the future. Because we know that beyond this life, there is a future life, a heavenly life. Life is just not here and now. And so whatever difficulty we face, we know that it is just for now. And as followers of Christ, it will be better in heaven. And so we should look forward to that life. So whatever difficulty we face, just take a deep breath and say, you know what, this is suffering. This is whatever I'm dealing with. This is whatever this group is dealing with. And we, you know, we've already seen some practical ways that we can be engaged with them and pray for them and seek opportunities and pray for those things and so have that proper kind of mindset. But we can just kind of pause and say, you know what? This is just how the world operates. Christ said it operates this way. Paul said it operates this way. We just know this is how things operate here on earth. But it's preparing us for this life in heaven, which will be radically better and radically different than what we imagine here. And then see maybe who God has placed in our lives that we can encourage. You know, when these things do pop up, that we can be united and we can say, you know what? I have this, you know, somebody is in need of this and I have this and so I can help encourage that person with this, whether it's physical resource or just a word of encouragement or whatever it is. And so kind of have that mindset of how can we be involved in, and engaged with one another, united in this one spirit and this one body. And it may just be in, beyond these walls to somewhere in a, in a body somewhere else to encourage them and to help them with the resources that God has blessed us with. So, if we are in a conflict, Paul's got us, get, he's given us some, some tools. If we notice, again, a conflict or difficulty that someone else is dealing with, Paul has given us some some. Uh, views of what we can do in order to uh, properly look at the situation and have uh, a big picture view about how God is working and how we can be a part of that. All right, let me pray and I'll let you guys go.